Welcome to episode 252 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're going to talk about something we all know about, we all know we should do, but we might have trouble finding time for it in our busy lives. Meditation has incredible healing value for both our mind and our body, and today's guest is on a mission to get the whole world meditating. Ariel Garten is a neuroscientist, psychotherapist, mom, former fashion designer, and the founder of the tech company Muse, created to make meditation easier. She has spoken about the benefits of meditation on stages around the world, ranging from TED Talks to MIT to South by Southwest. This week, she's here to talk about how we can master the art of meditating and find ways to fit it into our hectic lives. Ariel, welcome to Live Happy Now. It is a complete pleasure to be here. I mean, what is better than living happy now? Oh, exactly. And you have so much to say about this. We have so many points that we can touch on with you because of what you've done and your interest in meditation and the things that you're doing to move meditation forward. So I guess a great starting point is to find out how you personally got interested in meditation. Sure. So my own background is trained as a neuroscientist and I was working as a psychotherapist for almost a decade. And I began working with an early brain computer interface device. So a little electrode that could track the changes in your brain activity. And we recognized that the best thing we could do with this device was to teach people to meditate. We had some insight into what was going on in people's brains and you know, the brain is the seat of all of our experience. Anything you think, see, smell, talk about it is all mediated by your brain, but we have so little access to it. And when we recognized that we had a way to help people reflect back on what was going on in their mind, um, we realized that the best way to use this was to apply this tool to teach people to meditate. So I was a psychotherapist in private practice. I'd be trying to teach my patients to meditate, but frankly, I sucked at it. I was somebody whose brain <laughs> bounced all over the place and I'm like, eh, I'm not good at meditation. And I was teaching my patients and, you know, they would rarely really establish the habit. And we recognized that if we had a tool that could make meditation easier, we could fundamentally deploy this broad scale. And when did meditation become so accepted and embraced? You know, when I was growing up, I didn't hear about it. So when did it become accepted and also scientifically became something that they embrace as a practice? It's a good question. So now there's over a thousand published studies documenting the scientifically validated impact of meditation on people's lives. As a clinician, as a therapist in the early 2000s, like 2005, 2006, it started to become part of our training. And then towards the later 2000s, you heard about it more and more by like 2010. It was one of the frontline approaches for trauma and other Obviously, there's lots of approaches for trauma, but meditation was something that you were told to really teach your patients. From a general consumer perspective, it wasn't really until 2014, 2013 that you started to hear about it in the general public. At that point, meditation was on the cover of Time magazine, and it just cracked open the trend. And you started to see a flood of articles of big CEOs who are meditating and athletes who are meditating. And now only six or seven years later, meditation is known as something that you should be doing alongside brushing your teeth, eating well, and exercising. It's just understood amongst the educated populace that it's what you should be doing for your health. It's been a very fast ramp. And we hear that you should do it, but can you explain why? Because we hear it's good for you. It's going to help you be more calm, be more present. But how does it really benefit us and what is it doing to our brains? 
Sure. So meditation, very simply, is a practice or training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. And there are many different forms of meditation that you might have heard of, uh, Zen meditation, walking meditation, mindfulness. The most common form that people learn first is focused attention meditation. So in focused attention meditation, what you're doing is you're putting your attention on your breath. And when your mind eventually wanders away from your breath, which all our minds do, you then notice that your mind has wandered. And then you choose to come back to your breath. So it's actually an incredibly simple exercise. Your attention's on your breath. Your mind wanders onto the grocery list or something else. You say, oh, my mind wandered away. Okay, back to my breath. Now, while this might sound really simple, it's actually quite hard to do consistently. And the simple thing leads to some tremendous benefits. As I mentioned, there's over a thousand published studies demonstrating meditation's ability to impact your brain, your body, your health, your interpersonal relationships, your productivity, and more. And so breaking down this very simple exercise, most of us go through our lives with our minds just on autopilot. We have thoughts in our head and we assume that those are supposed to be the thoughts that are there. That's just what happens. And a lot of those thoughts are negative, repetitive, stressful, and not particularly helpful. And they simply loop in our minds and we follow them and we think about them and then they make our experience of life somewhat negative, stressful, and repetitive. And in meditation, what you're doing When you notice that your mind has wandered and you choose instead of following that thought like you normally would and now thinking about the grocery list or your upcoming basketball game or wherever your mind wanders, you're saying, no, I'm not going to follow that wandering thought. I'm going to choose to take my mind elsewhere onto something that is neutral, like your breath. And as soon as you do that, you change your relationship to your thoughts. So you now for the first time recognize that you have a choice about what you are thinking. And so you can take your mind off of thoughts that are negative, stressful, or repetitive and say, nope, I don't need to be there. Let me go back to something neutral. And so as you do that over time, you train your mind to stay in a place that is neutral, that is calmer, that is not filled with thoughts, and that is actually in the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, you're not thinking about the past or the future, which is where your worries and concerns live. In the present moment, you just have what's here and in front of you. It's one thing to have that experience while you're meditating. How long does it take until you have that same experience when you're not meditating? You know, even after you've stopped your meditation moment, you have control over where your mind is going. So like anything, it's a practice. You can't just go to the gym once and then expect to be strong a month later. You know, you do it consistently. And as you do it consistently, you build the practice. So for some people... You know, it takes a couple sittings of a meditation to kind of get what's going on. And then it takes a couple of weeks maybe to start to notice that, okay, you feel a little bit calmer. And then after a few months, you recognize that you have more ability to really manage your mind. You feel less distracted throughout the day. You find yourself more focused. You know, maybe your relatives are noticing changes. How long does someone then need to meditate in like daily? Because people say, I don't have five minutes. I don't have 10 minutes. I don't know how long I'm supposed to meditate. How long do you need to meditate every day for it to be effective? So that's a good question. And what you want to be doing is starting off with a small amount because the most important part about meditation is doing it regularly and building the habit. So if you start off with 10 minutes a day in meditation and that amount of time is frustrating to you, you're probably not going to do it. So some people start with as little as three minutes or four minutes, five minutes, and then build their way up to 10. Most of the studies are done with 20 minutes per day of meditation, but it's also been shown that you can get benefit with 10 minutes per day of meditation. 
information. And that will give you a nice consistent practice. And is it something you necessarily have to do sitting in a corner quietly? You know, do you need to make this space for it? Does it become something that you can do really anywhere? Ideally, it's something that you can do anywhere because what you're ultimately building is the skill of being able to be focused and attentive and in the moment wherever you are, in a meeting, in a crowded environment, in times in real life where you're frustrated and you need those skills. So people find it useful to have a spot in their home where it's quiet because you can then spend that time really sitting with yourself and observing your thoughts. But as you get better at it, you want to be putting yourself in all sorts of situations where you practice your meditation so that you can draw on that skill when you need it anywhere. And I found it really interesting that you had used this in psychotherapy. Can you talk a little bit about how meditation fits in with a psychotherapy practice? So in psychotherapy, what we're often doing is teaching somebody to recognize and challenge the thoughts that are not serving them. So most of us have a host of thoughts in our head about us and the world that frankly aren't that true. We believe we're not beautiful. You know, we believe that we're, you know, screwed up as a mother, you know, didn't do a good job in mothering. We believe we might have made that person annoyed when they're really not caring about us or what we're wearing is not right. Or, you know, whatever the example is for you, those are some more trivial examples, not the mothering one, but, you know. And so in psychotherapy, what you're doing is you're unearthing people's beliefs about themselves and the way they perceive the world, helping them examine the relative truth of them, challenge them and shift them. And what you're doing in meditation is actually a version of that. You are observing your thoughts. You're recognizing that the thoughts in your head are not necessarily serving you and they're not necessarily true. You're allowing them to pass by without impacting you or without significantly impacting you. And then you're allowing yourself to make a new choice about what you want to be thinking about. So it's an incredibly powerful tool for change because you're able to not get hooked into the stories that lead us down the rabbit holes. You don't get hooked into those stories of I'm not good enough or this is threatening or, you know, I need to be responding in this way. And as you're able to make space between those thoughts and yourself, the next shift that happens is you recognize that you are not necessarily the story that you've built about yourself. And that becomes really liberating. And so then all the negative beliefs you had about yourself can start to shift as well. So as you practice a meditation practice long term, you end up with people who really feel better about being themselves because they are not bogged down by the stories that no longer serve them. And as they become more confident and we become more happy with ourselves, we enjoy our life more and others enjoy us more. It's really feed forward. As you're a more pleasant person to be around, life feels great and people feel great about being with you and they give you positive reinforcement and you send it back out again. It really is transformative both to yourself and your network. What about moms and meditation? Because I know that you've spoken about that and how much it can benefit people as a mother. But I guess the first question that we usually hear is, where are they going to find the time? So when I was a new mom, instead of focusing on my own breath, I would hold my little infant and focus on his breath. Oh, so, that's wonderful. Yeah. So it became this beautiful practice that connected me more to my child. Now that he's, you know, running around and rarely sits still long enough for me to focus on his breath. Um <laughs> 
I teach him meditation as three deep breaths or 10 deep breaths. So if he's really upset, he knows it's like, okay, three deep breaths. And I always ask, how do you feel afterwards? He's like better. So constantly reinforcing that as you do this, you feel better. And he now uses it as a thing when he needs time. So he'll be like, I need to meditate. And I'll go and he'll sit quietly with his eyes closed, breathing insanely loudly. It's very cute. (laughs) And so I find my, oh, it's adorable. I find my own time to meditate in the morning when I'm still in bed or in the evening after he's gone to bed. So those are my two primary times for me. And I make sure that I carve out those times because they are so powerful. They keep me ground as a mom. They keep me from yelling at him when he does silly things that are triggering. And it really improves our relationship because I can just be there for him and not be triggered. And I don't have stories of like, why are you doing this to me? Or why is this happening to me? And it's just, I'm really present when he's frustrated. And one thing you said was you're teaching it to him. So you're not only improving your own experience, but you're now giving him tools to do this. How do you think this is going to affect children growing up in such a different approach? Because this would be really the first generation that's doing that. It's huge. So there's a study in BC schools in British Columbia and done by Mind Up. That's Goldie Hawn's organization that brings mindfulness into schools. It's great. And they showed that... Elementary school students who did the Mind Up program had a 15% improvement in their math scores, which is amazing. But even more amazing is that they had about a 25% increase in their pro-social behavior and a 25% decrease in aggression. Wow. That's incredible. It's tremendous. And this is something that's not a lot of time per day. You know, it wasn't introduced over a very long period of time. And you just see tremendous results when kids get to manage their distractions, which is what you're doing with meditation. You're noticing when your mind is distracting and you're making a different choice. And they're able to improve their emotional self-regulation through it. And that's going to impact our entire future as they go into the business world, as they become our next generation of leaders. I hope so. I hope we're seeing a really positive shift towards people who are more aware, more self-engaged, and more compassionate towards others. That is fantastic. Now, you obviously are a big believer in meditation, and so that actually led you to putting your neuroscience background into play to create Muse. Can you first of all explain to us what Muse is? Sure. So Muse is a brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. So we all know meditation is good for you. We've just heard all about it. But meditation can be really hard to do. You sit there, your brain is bouncing all over the place, and there's nobody sitting inside your mind telling you what to do, letting you know when you're focused or when your mind has wandered. And so with Muse, what you're doing is you're actually hearing the sound of your mind as you're meditating. You're hearing when you're focused, and you're hearing when your mind has wandered, and you're cued to bring your mind back to focused attention. And then after the fact, you get scores, charts, graphs, things that actually show you moment by moment what your brain was doing and give you reinforcement and encouragement to continue the practice. And so not only do we have sensors for the brain, but also for the heart, the breath, and the body. So it really becomes this total experience, a device that's actually giving you feedback on your meditation and coaching you. And then we have guided content, hundreds of meditations by top teachers on a range of subjects that really meet you where you're at and give you the inspiration and insight you need to overcome whatever challenge you have from sleep to stress to anxiety to difficult relationships to workplace tension, whatever it is. So how does the band work? I mean, how is it when you say you can hear, it guides you back? How does that actually work? 
Is it a audible tone that you hear or what happens? It's a beautiful audio soundscape. So the Muse has EG. It's the same sensors that you have in hospitals. It's an EEG device. So it's tracking your brainwave activity and it's able to know just two things, if you're focused or your mind has wandered. And then it translates that into a soundscape. So you hear your mind like the weather. So when you're thinking or distracted, you actually hear it as stormy. And as you come back to focused attention, it quiets the storm. So this really beautiful experience of hearing when your mind is stormy and when your mind is calm. And it reinforces you and encourages you to stay in that calm. Oh, that's so interesting. And how have people talked about it improving their meditation experience? Because it does seem like this is a great tutorial to kind of keep you herded or keep your thoughts herded as you're, as you're learning to meditate. Yeah, it's great. We have hundreds of thousands of people that use it regularly. And, you know, the most consistent thing we hear is I sucked at meditation and Muse taught me how to meditate. I'm at the point where I've now met multiple meditation teachers who started their meditation practice initially using Muse because we've been in market for that long. And we just had, we have over 200 published studies from various institutions. One that just came out recently was from the Mayo Clinic. They had breast cancer patients awaiting surgery using Muse. And through Muse, they were able to improve their quality of life and reduce the stress and fatigue of the cancer care process. And Mayo was so excited. They're now rolling Muse meditation out across multiple other conditions and new studies. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's so exciting to see what all meditation can do for us. And I was talking to someone, gosh, a few years ago, I was interviewing him for a story. And he said he kind of feels like a snake oil salesman when he starts talking about all the things meditation can do. But he said, but it's true. It can improve your life on so many different levels. It's amazing. And when you look specifically at what it does for the brain, you will be astonished. So as your brain ages, the prefrontal cortex, that's the part of your brain in the front of your brain, thins. But with a meditation practice, you can maintain the thickness of your prefrontal cortex even as you age. That study is from Dr. Sarah Lazar at Harvard. The amygdala, which is the part of your brain that is responsible for your fight or flight response. It's ultimately responsible for the stress response. When you see something in your environment that's dangerous, it fires. Or when you see something in your environment that you perceive as dangerous, it fires. The amygdala activity of a long-term meditator decreases significantly. And so what you see is actual changes in the brains of meditators that then lead to improvements in their physiological health. It's so encouraging. Every time I talk to someone who understands meditation at this level, and it's to understand what all it can do for us. You also created a podcast, the Untangle Podcast, which is really fantastic. Can you tell us about that? Oh, thank you. Untangle was started by Patricia Carpus, who is our head of content. She's wonderful. And she and I interview both meditation teachers as well as neuroscientists, artists, people who are skilled in the process of the mind to help you really understand how your brain works and how you can apply meditation and other principles to help you live a better life through the understanding of your own mind. And you also do some short meditations. Uh, That's the thing that I really liked about that. One that I really liked was to get rid of your self-critic. Yes. Um, So we also put up lots of content there. So the one you're referring to is a short practice that I just led to help you kill your inner critic, which rocks. I highly recommend it. (laughs) It is really good. Thank you. you. I, I really, really like that. So what is it that you envision, like you hope to see happening globally as we get more comfortable with meditation? 
So what I hope to see is that meditation is a regular part of people's daily lives in the same way as you wouldn't think to go out in the day without brushing your teeth. And we're conscious about what we eat and we're conscious about, you know, how we treat other people. Meditation is a practice that makes every part of your life better. And when you take the time daily to do it for 10 minutes a day or even five minutes a day, you start to see every part of your life get better you start to actually become more mindful about your eating. You start to become nicer in the way you interact with people. You, you know, don't forget to do things like floss because you're now attentive to it. It seems really silly, but when you train your meditation, you become attentive to the parts of your life that matter to you and so you're able to make better choices. So what I would love to see is more people meditating and everybody meditating because when I look at the problems that we have in this world today, the problems of fear and scarcity thinking and selfishness and greed, meditation is really a tool that allows us to break down all of those, you know, really false mental constructs and defenses that we build and to allow us to interact in much more generous, positive ways. And that does sound exactly like what we need right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And hence the mission to spread meditation widely. As we let you go today, what's the one thing that you really hope people take away from today's talk? That meditation is something that everybody can do, that it's a very simple and very powerful tool. And what it teaches you, which most importantly I want people to pay attention to, is that the thoughts that are in your head are not necessarily reality. When you hear your mind tell you something negative about you, you can confront it, let it know that that's not the case, and put your attention elsewhere. So you do not need to be a prisoner of your own mind. You can take control of your own mental space. Fantastic. Ariel, thank you so much. This was an enlightening talk, and I know that you have so much more to teach us, and I look forward to all of our listeners being able to learn more from you. Thank you. This was a pleasure. That was Ariel Garten talking about how we can benefit from meditation. If you'd like to learn more about Ariel, listen to her podcast, follow her on social media, or learn more about her meditation device, Muse, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.